So we are Go good ahead. there. I am live live from Alsace-Lorraine, the French-German border. This is <laughs> this is French. This hotel is pretty sweet. It's very very French feeling. Oh, that's um, kind of cool. Yeah, had Tunisian food for dinner, so that was great. Oh, you, nice. of course, are back from the beaches of Bora Bora. Which is so, a French uh, territory, and it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you stick your feet in the water? Enjoy those oh. warm beaches? Oh, my God. the And the hotels we stayed in, we stayed in a bungalow over the top of, like, this lagoon area. And it was, you, like, literally just walk out onto your back deck, and there's a staircase down. And then there's a ladder that uh, with another platform that lets you just, just hop in the water. It was, And it's, like crystal clear blue oh god i didn't want to leave <laughs> that sounds like one of those it sounds like a scene from one of those motivational posters where there's just like one word like um you know courage and then there's like the quote on the bottom and there's like some yeah. scenic view but this you actually one, lived it. that's pretty badass this poster would read rich <laughs> or expensive well it's awesome yeah well, it sounds like it was worthwhile, and that was beautiful. Well, I'm it, oh, my gosh. That. We pretended we were rich for a week, which was wonderful. And then um, at the end of it, we're like, let's promise we'll come back here in 10 years because that's how much time it will take us to save enough money to afford to come back. <laughs> That'll be a fun thing to do, though, every 10 years. Yeah, but who knows? By then, kids, stuff like that. That is hard to say. You bring your kids with you. Just put them in a little Oh, God. Inside. Some people did bring their kids to the first island we stayed at, and it was like... It was mostly honeymoon couples, and then like the last two days we were there, a few families showed up, and their kids were just screaming, running on the pool, and we were like, "No, if you were, not here." If you, yeah, if you were a honeymoon couple, that would be that would be tough. But and most of the people that go to Tahiti are on their honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, that's fair. That's a long way to take your kids. How how yeah. long was it? Uh, twenty six hours. Oh, good lord, that's it far. Was, it was rough. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, okay. <clears throat> Should we do the show? Let's do it. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast of the FX hit show American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my refreshed and sun-kissed co-host, Chris Houston. <laughs> Chris Houston, yeah. I'm hella tan right now. <laughs> um, what's going on, Tyler? Where are you at? I, I myself, am in, am in, in, in France, the French-German border. I went to Oktoberfest. Um, that was pretty awesome. Spent some days in the Swiss Alps, which was lovely, and have a few more days left here before I head back home for uh, Wednesday's new episode. But luckily, I've got a pretty good Wi-Fi connection, so apologies for the delay, everybody, in getting this recorded, but Chris came back from his honeymoon on Friday, mm-hmm. and I've been kind of jumping around since then, but we were able to make it happen uh, now, so... At least we'll get it out there before the next episode. So obviously, thrilled to have Chris back. And big thanks to Bryce, who filled in last week. He had some great insights, and we'll continue to look for him for good theories and things. Cause he's yes, big thanks to Bryce. And we appreciate that. Who knows, in the future, if one of us is missing, we may have to hit him up again. Um, but without further ado, there's so much to talk about in this episode. I'm very excited. I, I have some theories, fan theories and things I want to bring into it more in the um, back end of this episode when we're talking about, like, cool. there's so much to unwrap that I kind of want to talk about it later. But before we go in, we've got to start out with, first of all, 
You can always reach out to us on Facebook at facebook.com. So it's this American Horror Story. We, t- I mean, we've got quite some conversations going on there and all sorts. I mean, I feel like theories are blossoming up left and right this season. So it's been a lot of fun. And secondly, um, you can catch us at uh, over email at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. So before we begin, what are, you, what are you drinking, Chris? What were you drinking in Bora Bora, and how does it compare to what you're drinking now? I was drinking what should have been like liquid gold, because that's how expensive everything was over there. <laughs> um, I, I'm drinking uh, Gumball Head. It's a wheat beer from Indiana that one of my friends uh, gave to me in a six-pack as a thank you for watering his lawn while he was gone, and it's delicious. Nice. Uh, what are you drinking? Three Floyds Brewery. I know that brewery. Yep. Oh, yeah. Well. It's an excellent brewery. There you go. Brewery. Yep. Three Floyds. I've, 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 been, I've been there a couple times. Oh, cool. Um, I'm drinking a just a beer that I got from the hotel fridge. I was at a Tunisian <laughs> restaurant a couple hours ago, and I was drinking Tunisian wine, which I didn't even know they made Tunisian wine, and it was good, and I have a little bit of a buzz going into this, so that right. should be fun. Um, but no, it's just, it's, just a, it's just a solid beer, a French beer. It's It's doing it, you know. They had Tahitian beer that um, we drank a lot of too, and it was pretty good. It was called Hinam- Hinamo, I think. Nice. Probably just light and cold, which is what you mm-hmm. want on a beach, I'm sure. Yep. So that sounds lovely. And then they have some actually uh, some French Polynesian rose that we were drinking a bit of as well, and that was good. Oh, not French Polynesian. <laughs> Who knew? But that's fantastic. <laughs> So before we talk about the cold open, I want to something that I just noticed that was interesting mm-hmm. was um, well, first of all, the director of this episode was Loni Peristire, who has done some AHS episodes in the past. He's an AHS veteran, from what I could tell, but he's we, I don't know that we've ever really looked at his background before, and he's known for being the primary director of the show Firefly, mm-hmm. the sci-fi show, right? And he also directed really the movie version of that Serenity. I didn't watch the. Sh- I'm trying to remember now. I in college I might have watched bits and pieces of the show, and I definitely watched the movie. There's some people who are super fans of that show, and I was not one of those. But I, I I enjoy sci-fi, and I did follow that. But it was interesting because I saw the writer of this episode was one a name I hadn't recognized before, which is what made me think to look at this more closely. Mm-hmm. The writer was is Manny Cotto. Mm-hmm. who was an executive producer of the show 24. He wrote the entire fifth season of the show Dexter. Oh. But I also thought it was interesting that he was the executive producer and showrunner of Star Trek Enterprise. So I just thought it was interesting here that we have two guys who have backgrounds in sci-fi yeah. kind of going into this particular episode. That's um, awesome. And I mean, maybe when we're reflecting back, we can bring that into it. But it was just something I wanted to point out before we really dove into the cold open. Cool. So immediately we get to effectively, um, I guess, the continuation of Michael Langdon's inter- interviews. So obviously, you've wa- you watched season two and three back. Did you watch them back to back, pretty much, or a little bit? Yeah. So pretty much, um, probably more recently than I watched last week's episode. But last ep- week's episode, Michael was starting to do the interviews with people to kind of figure out who he was going to take to. The sanctuary. the sanctuary and it seems like this is kind of the continuation of who's going to the sanctuary we see little bits and pieces from some different interviews what an interesting thing is obviously timothy and emily are kind of adam and eve characters he's eff- effectively um they the last we saw them they were caught having sex after that had been forbidden by miss venable and mm-hmm. michael kind of basically says i don't care i'm the boss here that doesn't matter to me um, and, this, and then obviously last we saw Mr. Gallant, he was murdering his grandmother, and that mm-hmm. also seems to be 
uh, no big deal to Michael. Um, now there's two more. Uh, oh, and then he interviews Jeffrey Bowyer Chapman's character. Um, and one thing we learn here is that he, I believe, he's related to Dina. He's related to Dina Porter's character. Bless you. Thanks. Which Sorry. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We did we know that they were related no, before? Definitely not. Because I, when he was talking about his mom and they were arguing, I had no idea. And I said, oh, I guess I assume that they're they're related. But that was never given to us. No. So I, that was new to me as well. But the two interviews that are kind of the most interesting are first Michael's interview with Dina, because. They apparently know each other from some previous encounter, and he insinuates, you know, she says she's not there to cause trouble, and he kind of questions that. So we first get the feel here that maybe she has some kind of rival's power that's unrevealed, uh, maybe to his. So that's interesting. And then, of course, the second one that kind of sets up one of the bigger pieces of this episode is his conversation with Mallory, in which he kind of is is pressuring her to reveal her feelings her what he thinks are her deep deeper feelings about coco and he says you know i can see into the dark places of people's souls he says he's kind of looking for dark souls to join basically it sounds like he's trying to create an after or like a a continuation of mankind that's just full of like very dark angry vengeful spirits kind of evil like a world of evil people it seems to be my understanding um and then we, you know, he pushes her, and she kind of pushes back until he kind of senses something in her that is unleashed a little bit. She has like this power to apparently create fire or something. And we also see kind of this like side of Michael that looks very demonic, like his inner demon, basically. This was awesome. This um, was the first time I actually got a little scared. I was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> yeah, that was pretty intense. That was his that face. Was good. It reminded me of something that we would see in like Insidious or one of those kind of supernatural movies where all of a sudden the face changes and it's really demonic looking and scary. Yeah, I, I dug that too. And then we, like we finally start getting a little more from the Mallory character, which is something we hadn't gotten so far. Right. Um, so that was kind of our opening, and it was. I, I what I liked about it, I guess, was that it was it was immediately into the action. Um, what I will say is that. It's a little like, like the thing about Mr. Gallant was interesting of last episode. So it doesn't bother me so much that he let Mr. Gallant off the hook, and it doesn't surprise me that he let Emily and um, what's his face Timothy off the hook either, because he had already said he didn't really care about Venable's rules. But at the same time, it was a little bit annoying to me that he that like this is like some for the first two episodes this is like a big thing that like oh God forbid they have sex or that'll be severely punished and they'll be shot in the yard outside. But then they have sex and it's just no big deal, and he lets them off right away. I agree. Um, I thought it was kind of. Annoying. I have some. <laughs> yeah, I have some questions about what the point of these characters were, but we'll get into that as we get deeper into the episode. Oh, what was I? Oh, so I was just going to ask if you um, what your um, what your feelings were coming out of this cold open, kind of compared to the you know the last couple we've had in the first two episodes. Yeah, I loved it. I thought this was exciting. It was shot so well. The whole transitions between um, each. Uh, subsequent person who was getting interviewed was really cool the way the camera moving on that um and splicing uh all the questions with the answers you think you know who he's asking the question to and then it turns out it's this other person it just it was it just moved effortlessly through that whole sequence loved it and there were a few shots too where there were uh, i think it was uh uh is it dina 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 
Adina characters, Adina Porter's character. Right. Yeah. She was. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. Go she ahead. was looking straight at the camera at one point. I was like, oh, that's a really great shot. Um, and then the whole, you know, reveal of Mallory being, uh, I assumed a witch uh, when that whole the fire thing happened, and she pushed him back, which were some of the powers that witches have, was awesome. I loved it. Um, and I yeah. love that the whole "Who are you?" I don't know. Who are you? It was such a great back and forth between them. My one thing about this opening was I wish that Mallory had been developed a little more as a character because it's cool to see this new development of of who she is. But I don't. I never really cared about her that much. She was. I liked her because I like Billy Lord, but I didn't have any. You know, I never felt bad for her uh, as 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 Mallory. But that being said, this is still a pretty cool thing to happen to her. So that that whole sequence was a great way to kick off a finally exciting episode. I think. What do you think? I think that's a no. I, no, I think that's a really great point about Mallory specifically because um, I think that this episode they tried to make us feel really bad for with how expressly mean Coco was in that one sequence, which was out and, of the blue to me. I she'd never been that mean to her. Yeah, and, and you kind of get the impression when she dragged her to, like, she was kind of a, you know, a dick to her, but she, like, you got the impression that she she actually liked her, and, and like, mm-hmm. even though she was an yeah. asshole, she, like, she appreciated her yeah. company. So it seemed a little bit out of place. Also, I will say that I'm, st- like, I, I appreciate, um, you'll have to remind me of the actress who plays um, Coco. Uh, Leslie. It is um, Leslie Grossman. Yep. Uh, Leslie Grossman. I, I, I like Leslie Grossman a lot, but I, I at the end of this episode, by the time it finished, I was finding Coco a little bit insufferable, even though she has some funny lines. I she agree. was like, she was she was irritating me, um, which is normally we kind of like the funny characters. So that was a surprise for me. But um, I agree with you that this that like we don't know anything about what Mallory. She's going through this transformation, but we don't know what she's transforming from, other than just like being somebody who is i guess lesser than in this new world order mm-hmm. um but we don't even really like know why or what her origin is or anything so um but talking about that sequence with mallory and in michael we have this kind of early scene where michael holds the satanic ritual um and he cuts himself and there's a lot of blood and snakes Ugh, um yeah, but was... i think it's i mean it's very much out of a demon kind of horror movie um Pretty gross. I thought that Cody Fern does a good job of it. He um, is been, really I, good. I've been impressed. I'm, I'm, yeah, I've been I impressed. Really watched him. Too. He was in Versace, right? Yes. Yeah. So I obviously I haven't seen that, but um, like he, this he, he's doing a great job. He's doing a very good. Agreed. Job. I, yeah, yeah. I think that he's been he's been creepy, but he's also like been able to like he's been an embodiment of I think a good balance between being really creepy but also having a little bit of wit to him. Yes, which is I think the tone that this season's strike trying to strike, and I feel like he's the best exemplar of that thus far. Um, but he says during that ritual, "I thought I destroyed them all." So my mm-hmm. question for you is, my immediate thought was, "Oh, is he talking? Is like is Mallory an, an is an angel?" So, so that's oh. what my mind went to later. But in the immediate moment, I was like, "Is Mallory like a if he's like the devil?" Because he's talking, he keeps talking about his father Satan. Right? Is Mallory is Mallory like and is she the opposite, the force directly opposite him? But then obviously you see them come in later, and we learn that she's a witch of some kind. Mm-hmm. So, 
this will, I guess we'll get more into the, some of the questions with this later. So your initial reaction, though, was that he, when she he was said that you thought witch immediately. And that's okay. just because I knew the the context of this season is going to cross over with Coven, so I assumed it must be a witch. But it would be much more interesting if it was your case where it was an angel or some um, you know, opposition to the satanic world. Well, maybe what ends up happening is that the witches are supposed to kind of fill that angel role, uh, yeah. perhaps. Um, but we'll sure. get more into that when we talk about the witches at the end of the episode. Cool. Um, I'm going to kind of break our discussion down into two threads. Okay. I'm going to call one the Billy. I'm going to call one the Billy Eichner thread, and the other the Miss Mead storyline, even though it's not all about her. Right. So we start with kind of the Kathy Bates, her narrating these past memories she has. You know the. Um, Rosie from the Jetsons when she's trick-or-treating. Such a great um, costume. I love that idea. That is a great costume. The 1988 f- um, fight she has with... Now, I believe that she's. she says that she is an intelligence agent for Mossad at the time, which is the Israeli intelligence agency, which I just know from watching Homeland mainly. Um, <laughs> I will say that they have a pretty badass little fight sequence here. That was awesome. Uh, it was well choreographed. It's not really clear to me, like, why she works for Israeli intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that that's supposed to matter. It's also kind of funny then when, you know, the kids ring the doorbell on Halloween and she opens the door with blood on her head. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, she has memories of this blonde child. But then, you know, the immediate thing she says, well, those memories were all false um, because I am a robot. And mm-hmm. that is something we were debating a little bit at the end of the last episode. Some people I know thought that she was maybe an alien. Because um, they were speculating on what was going on inside of her body when we got that little clip. I know some people were thinking maybe she was like a cyborg, half human, half robot. But it seems like she's very clearly full full robot. Um, we, I don't know. What was your perception then of, of kind of, why go through this whole background of showing Mead's flashbacks to her memories if we learn that none of these are real. Yeah, I I mean, we find out later, you know, who she's programmed to be like. Um, So maybe that's, we're supposed to remember these memories and kind of connect them with whoever, whomever uh, Michael programmed her after, which I have questions about that um, at the end as well. Uh, So I think, and and maybe for sympathy for for Ms. Mead's character, because obviously it climaxes in her... uh, doing the one thing that she thought she was uh, programmed not to do, um, and that was break her loyalty. So I think we're supposed to feel bad for her, and this gives us humanizes her a bit. Even though it's not her experience, it's still an experience that she emotionally uh, reacts to. Mm-hmm. And then obviously she's in conversation with Venable at this time, and we realize that Venable... Um, has already learned from via Michael that she's not coming to the sanctuary. That basically she's going to be for sure left behind to die at outpost number three. Um, and so between the two of them, and it's actually kind of prompted by Meade, they decide they're going to overthrow him. Um, or, or come up with a plan to make sure that Venable can make it to the sanctuary. And that right. plan is, of course, killing everybody. Right. They're just not sure how this is going to happen. Also, Kathy Bates has the line in this, I'm a goddamn robot. Which is yeah. There's a few, uh, in this episode, there's, there's a lot of self-awareness, I guess, where she mm-hmm. says, like, I'm a, well, I am a robot. And it's a little, like, clunky because it's so, it's, I think it's more fun when, you know, show don't tell. 
Um, but there's a few times this was so blatant, uh, like when she says, I'm a robot, or they talk about, it's like Adam and Eve with these poison apples. Um, they, oh, so that's, uh, so I, I wanted to actually, that's, it's, I wanted to say that exact thing to you. So let's go through the sequence mm-hmm. to get to that part. The carriage arrives, this one with apples in it. I also thought that it was interesting that the apples were in like a gun casing, basically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Super protected. I mean, it, Oh yeah, and also like foreshadowing as to like you know uh, the guns are the the apples oh, are going to be the, like the yeah. weapons you know that's cool. Um, but there's so many questions that come out of of the apples, and at least that they acknowledge those questions like how did they grow the apples, um, all this kind of stuff that like they're questions to them too that they're at least acknowledging that they're weird, so that way that we're not just like thinking that the yeah. writers are completely passing them by. But there's some other things, too. Like, how the hell did the horses know how to get to, the, <laughs> you know, these two horses that are only being captained by a gun case of apples make it from wherever the sanctuary is to outpost number three? Also, like, if there's all these, like, you know, ro- like people roaming the landscape that, and stuff, like, why wouldn't this carriage have been taken over Seriously. sooner than that? Because it's, like, so odd in this environment. It's not being protected at all. I just have a lot of questions based on that, but... But it's American Horror Story, so you will get no answers. That that's true. And this this it was this conversation you were just referring to. You know, obviously we have the biblical, biblical imagery here about you know the the poison apple with like the you know Adam and Eve free of life kind of thing we we were talking about for yep. the first couple episodes here. But this dialogue when they're talking about poisoning the apples, excuse me, when they're talking about poisoning the apples, is so beat you over the head. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like you know. You know what we could do with these apples? We could poison them. How could we poison them? Snake venom. How do we get them to eat it at once? Oh, well, we could do it. Part a masquerade like, ball. <laughs> yeah, it's like let's leave a little it's bit really to extreme. our imagination. I, I just feel like in this particular sequence, it was a little bit like you gotta trust. You know, we're most of us have been viewers that've been with this show for many seasons. Trust that like we can intuit what's going on a little bit more. You know, you don't need to be so hit us over the head with what's happening like I don't you wouldn't even need to like we could have figured the apples were poison without going through this whole conversation of exactly what they're going to do with the apples you know yeah we didn't need this the 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 needle uh, pushing poison into the or the venom into the apple that's also not how you would be able to do that (laughs) yeah although I will say that them milking the venom out of the snakes was kind of a cool scene that was very cool yeah but you're exactly right um yeah, a Victorian themed masquerade, and this is of course also where we get kind of the this interaction. The another kind of what we were saying before, it almost felt felt like a, a forced fight between Coco and, and Mallory, where she's like yes. an exceptional ass to her. Um, and I guess this is you know obviously as we said before, for, I, I think it must be foreshadowing probably what is going to be the power dynamic that's coming because we already get the f- exactly like. Clearly, Mallory has very strong powers that have been untapped. And so my only presumption is that like, she's going to be super powerful and Coco is going to be kind of the lesser because of that. Right. That's kind of why we're seeing this juxtaposition. But it, it, again, it felt a little bit hit you over the head. I was also wondering when they were when Gallant was styling Coco's hair in kind of the Mary Antoinette mm-hmm. style, if that was foreshadowing her getting killed. I thought maybe her head was going to get cut off, but instead she just got stabbed in the forehead. Yeah, that <laughs> but, was ridiculous. Um, one but, thing yeah. also that was kind of funny in this sequence of the argument, Coco makes a reference to Dark Phoenix, uh, talking about the 
fires and stuff like that. And it's the it, this is like the third. I know uh, Bryce pointed out last week. This is like the third X Men reference, <laughs> which is funny because um, the movie or the trailer for Dark Phoenix just dropped <laughs> a couple days ago. Oh really? Yeah, and then obviously uh, Evan Peters plays Quicksilver in X Men. So I don't know if there's cross promotion happening here, but there's a lot of X Men references. Um, well, so speaking of X Men references, I was about to point out another one because mm-hmm. I had noticed, like, I had the Dark Phoenix thing too, and obviously, I mean, it does seem a little bit like, uh, first of all, Mallory's powers. I mean, you think about like if if it's been prompted by radiation, that would be a somewhat of a like a, a mutation X Men type evolution, right? Right. Um, but also, this is an obscure one that I just stumbled across. So the song that the, the reason is because so they play this song at the masquerade ball. This um, can't live without your love. Can't live without your love and affection. It's a song by the band a band called Nelson from the early nineties. Mm-hmm. And the reason I noticed it particularly is because I was kind of disappointed that there wasn't some like grand masquerade ball song. <laughs> That it was like some weird '90s rock song at this point in time. Um, I was like hoping for like some like Phantom of the Opera shit or something <laughs> like that, you know, like something with some with some gravitas. And it kind of felt like out of place. So I was like, okay, I need to look into what this song is about. So this is not related to the episode, but just interesting fact. Apparently, the song is about the lead singer's crush on Cindy Crawford, which would have been <laughs> relevant in the early '90s. Yep. But also, this song appeared in a short-lived '90s X-Men cartoon series, uh, X-Men: Pride of the X-Men. Oh. So, or, like, it was, I don't know if it was recurring or something, but that was, like, one of the main entries I could find of, like, when the song was, was used in a pop culture fashion. And so I'm assuming maybe, yeah, so I'm assuming maybe that was just another Easter egg, but we're out, we are getting a lot of X-Men references this, this season, like you just pointed out. So I wonder if, like, you know, I guess it's relevant if we're thinking about radiation prompting changes in people's bodies and, and giving people powers. Yeah. So here's a question I have for you. Why is Mallory the only minion allowed to partake in the party? Is it because Michael has singled her out? Did all the other servants die? We had seen the other servants in episode one, and like for some reason she's the only gray, gray-robed person who's allowed to participate in all this stuff. Oh, see, I guess I didn't notice that. I assumed that they were all invited. Everyone had to be there, so... I just missed that. But we don't. But we don't. But we don't see him, right? Yeah. I mean, well. Yeah. There. I mean, they're also missing a seven-foot Amazon Eve, uh, who is mysteriously not present as well. Uh, they don't notice that, or Vener- Venerable and and me don't notice that, which is interesting. you're so, right because you, you make a good point because at this point she would have been dead for a little while. And they still yeah, haven't noticed, and they haven't noticed. And like, you think yeah. they would? I mean, would they kill her too, or would she would she be part of the pact? That's a big little hole there. <laughs> yeah, she's like the primary security guard alongside Mead. Her, yep. she's like the deputy there. Great point. So, uh, just something I noticed at that particular moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, as people kind of start diving in for the apples, it's, it's a little bit of a brutal scene when we see everybody vomiting and writhing it and slowly dying. D- that was dirty, man. That was that was much more graphic than I thought it was going to be, and it worked. I thought it was really uh, intense. It was intense. It was intense. Uh, a lot going on there. Um, and then, of course, Venable and Mead go to finish off Michael, who who already knows what they've done. He, uh, I mean, I think that they're not fully aware of his powers, obviously, I think at this point. Yeah. Um, Venable in particular, because obviously she's the apparent human of the two. Um, then she, her, her plan to kill him is to have me shoot him. Um, and with his mind, he, he very easily bends me to shoot Venable instead. 
Um, and of course, we learn that Michael built Miss Mead in the model of someone important to him. Now, so uh, would you also guess that that person is Constance? That's right? who I thought. That was my initial thought. Um, and I was trying to think of other people who it could be. And there are, are other options, I think, like his second nanny, uh, uh, maybe um, uh, Connie Britton in some form, because they're all trapped in that house. I, there's Yeah, if he were to stay in the house in some regard, yeah. Yeah, So, but I think my, my initial thought is, yes, Constance. Which is interesting because... I, so I thought this was a cool reveal. But if that is the case that it's supposed to be Jessica Lange's Constance character, who's mm-hmm. a, like iconic character, one of our favorite from the series, or at oh, least yeah. mine, I would say. Oh, yeah. Um, I do wish they had had Kathy Bates either foreshadow that by having a southern accent or Something. at least somehow made her yeah at least somehow made her more like Constance because even like the background memories like we know Constance didn't fight for Mossad you know no, right. so so it was it's like it's not even clear to me at all how she's based on how if, if it's supposed to be based on Constance and what, it might not like, be where, where does that be. come from yeah and it might not be maybe and maybe that's that maybe that's the truth of it you know yeah and then we're gonna um, all the like the memories were teases for a different character who will meet later or someone will have been referenced from season one i'm not sure but yeah initially i think it's constance but then i i'm not convinced completely on that and it doesn't sound like you are either no, I'm not, because it doesn't quite line up. And I think that, yeah, unless there's something more we need to learn there, um, it could easily be somebody else. Um, in, in the meantime, let's, let's dive into, uh, I guess, what I'm going to call Brock's storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting back a little bit, we, we see kind of this scene out in the world, out in the, outside of the outpost, with kind of Mad Max-style lighting, yep. um, which I think is clearly very intentional, right? The, at least yeah. the original... Um, Road Warriors, the first one, I believe. Have you seen all those movies? I've seen, I've seen them all, yes, uh, but not for like twenty years, with the exception I, of the I've most watched, recent one. Yeah, I've watched, I've watched Road Warrior and the one with the fight over the gasoline, which is, is it just called Mad Max? I think it's just it Mad, Mad Max. Max too? Yeah, I've seen, I, I've watched them both relatively recently. Uh, oh, cool. In the last three years, I think, and this is obviously yeah, very much an homage to Mad Max. Um, you see the guys, I mean. It, Outside world's a shit show, as they've kind of hinted over and over again. Um, you see the guys that are just roasting a leg to eat. Uh, they just, <laughs> you know, slaughter somebody on the ground for fun. They're all full of scars and deformities. And then, of course, Billy Eichner shows up. Mm-hmm. Which we've done Sup, some Rock. speculation about whether or not he would survive. Um, and he's asking for their help to find the sanctuary. Or, sorry, not the sanctuary. Outpost, outpost number three. Yeah. Now, at first I was like, well, why would he be so desperate to find like to find Coco because it didn't seem like their relationship was that strong but then I'm thinking oh he it's it's clearly for revenge and that's obviously what we end up learning is like he's pretty pissed at her that she like who we don't know anything about their relationship background but maybe they were dating for years maybe they were engaged who knows and she clearly did not care enough to try to help guide him to this outpost right so that's like it seems to me kind of like that resentment and that sense of revenge has been like what's kept him alive Almost in a very Road Warrior way, you know what I mean? Like, he is, he is a kind of a Mad Max character in yep. this scenario. And he's resourceful, he ride, and he's got, he's got, like, the gunslinger on his back. He rides to outpost number three under the carriage. Um, Which we've he, learned, it's he, really easy to break into outpost number three. 
Well, and, uh, no kidding. I mean, <laughs> he kills Amazon Eve, which was which was a bummer because yeah, she's great. I love her. Um, but but like, really, I put a note here. Like, she wasn't being very careful for them mm-hmm. being so worried about the outpost being overrun by people. It's like they they don't get they're like very lax with security. Yep. <laughs> all things considered, um, like stabs her right in the, the neck. So that was pretty pretty brutal. And. Um, I guess we must assume that the soiree happened the next night, basically, after the apples came. So he hid out somewhere in the in the complex. He finds this black crow mask, um, which is kind of reminiscent of the same masks. Maybe it is even one of the masks that is like the gas masks that they wear outside. Because um, it looks kind of reminiscent of those. And he dances with Coco, who then, thinking it's Michael, offers a manolingus. <laughs> Surprise, bitch. So they go into a back room to have sex, and he reveals himself. And Coco is surprised and makes a very half-hearted excuse for missing him. And he stabs her right in the head. Yeah. That takes Um, a lot of power to get through a skull. Yeah, man. What do you think about, like, what did you think about Billy Eichner in this sequence? What did you think about the storyline? I'm curious to hear your thoughts. It was kind of fun. At one point, he references, you know, he's been, like, on the road for a year which makes sense with our timeline, I guess. Uh, but all of this just for revenge just seems... I mean, I think revenge... I guess it can drive people to do to, to, to focus on something, but I might be a little more focused on survival as opposed to revenge. I thought he was going to the um, outpost just to find a place that you can actually live and has food and things like that. But it was fine. Billy Eichner, it was good to see him again. Uh, it was fun to have him teamed up with Leslie uh, Grossman as well because they they play off each other really well, or they did in Cult very well, I thought. Right. So this was kind of fun to see yeah. them together together again. And I assume he's gonna stick around a little bit more because he's still in the outpost, even though ninety percent of the inhabitants are dead. He's still there. Mm-hmm. Right. I I enjoyed this I enjoyed this storyline a lot. In fact, it might be my favorite of the episode. I mean, there was a lot of good th- things I enjoyed about this episode, and I already expressed my kind of annoyance with some of the hit you over the head stuff. But I, I there was a lot I did enjoy about this episode because it was very action packed. Um, but I'm a huge Mad Max fan. I've like mm-hmm. I like both the original early movies. I really I loved the new the uh, Tom oh, the new one was so Hardy great one. with Charlize Theron and. Tom Hardy. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And so I, I really enjoyed that kind of homage to it. Yeah. Um, I thought Billy Eichner, like, Billy Eichner made a surprisingly good action hero, I thought. Yeah, he was um, good. Or has thus far. I, I like, you know, the way he has been positioned as, as characters on TV and in movies, it's not really, it, it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought to put him in that kind of role, but I thought he did a really good job. Um, and I mean that final scene where he reveals himself and stabs her in the head is pretty brutal. While also being very quintessentially American horror story, you know. Um, so yeah, so I, I mean, at that point in time, I, I must admit that I was a little bit like, oh, thank goodness Coco's gone because she was annoying me. She was. It was a little uh, a lot of screen time for Coco. She yeah she's she's just all she's there for like, I appreciate her one liners, but it's just like that's her sole purpose is is like these kind of self-indulgent one-liners. Right. And then, of course, the you know the final scene of, of the episode is we get three of our witches who we've been waiting for for basically three episodes to show up. Um, Cordelia at the front, and then, of course, Madison and Myrtle Snow uh, flanking her on either side. I want to call they this walk... season American Horror Story Entrances. 
Because every time a new character comes in or old characters come in, there is a goddamn entrance. Like, it is, oh. like, this glorious reveal, and they march in, and even when we met, met Miss Venable the first time, it was, like, entrance. Entrance. Yeah, very dramatic. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's great. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And, you know, they walk right in. Uh, apparently, all security's gone at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah. They have no, there's like nobody there. So that's kind of part of my question was like, maybe Michael's gone at this point. Maybe he's already headed to the sanctuary and they just run into the dead bodies that are still there. Um, And they revive their, their girls who are apparently Maggie, Coco, and Dina. Um, And of course, when Maggie wakes up, we get this line from Madison that says, surprise, bitch, you thought you'd never seen, or you thought, oh, sorry, not Maggie. I was like, who's Maggie? (laughs) Yeah, Maggie sorry Smith. About that. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Madison says to Mallory, "Surprise, bitch! You thought you'd seen the last of me," which then implies, of course, that how do Mallory they know each other? Past, which is, of course, one of the questions we're left with. Um, yeah. Initial thoughts about okay, uh, you know, this is the scene we've been waiting for. We're finally seeing some of our witches. Was this satisfying to you, or did you were you left with more questions that were just? I mean, how did you feel coming off of this? this is like, what's your reaction shot here? I in initially was really excited because, you know, the first the opening of this episode was great and then the last five minutes when our witches show up, I was I was just like a fist pump in the air. Yes. Um like our, our people are here and it's like three characters that I like a lot also. So it's really great to to have them kind of come into it. After it sat with me for a little bit though, I started to get questions in my mind. Obviously there was a tease on how does uh Madison, no Mallory, and we've heard a few theories, and I've have a few theories on who that, how that might happen. Uh, but then I started getting really annoyed with how they built up so much of the genetic superiority story with our uh, Emily and Timmy storyline, and now they're dead. And what was the point of all that? I never even cared about them. I think actually Miss Meat at one point uh, made a joke calling them the relentlessly dull couple. <laughs> I was like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They know that they're boring. Um, right. So I, I don't know. And we, you know, the other thing, and I started thinking also, you know, we talked about how Coco was getting mad at um, Mallory, Mallory just out of the blue. That reminded me of last week when all of a sudden Mr. Gallant and his grandmother, like, have this, like, deeply rooted hatred for each other or animosity because of how he was treated as a kid or whatever. And that just seemed to be out of the blue. <laughs> Like, what, if she was really annoyed with him, why would she even bring him to the, um, why would they bring each other to the, to the Outpost 3? Anyway, I went down a whole thing of, like, questions and holes and conveniences. That being said, from the beginning to the end, this episode was so fun and exciting. And I think that five-minute sequence at the end with our witches showing up, and it's two of those three witches are, we presumed, were dead after their season. So it's great to see them, um in some form of alive. Uh, and then I got annoyed again because I thought, oh, shit, Coven, that's right, the season where death means nothing and people just come back to life <laughs> all the time and there's no stakes. That was the worst part of Coven. That is true. That it that was very obnoxious and maybe, I guess, to some extent that extends here. But I have to imagine that not everybody who died is coming back to life at this point in time. Right. Um, so that leads me to ask you, do you think that there's any other characters who presumably died that are going to come back? Um, I I kind of want Timmy and Emily to come back to life, 
only because there has to have been a point for their goddamn storyline. <laughs> um, <laughs> that being said, if they don't come back, I wouldn't be too upset either because they're so boring and I just didn't care about them at all besides them being like a very pretty couple to look at. Yeah. So I agree with you. Um, I, I I agree about that frustration and I almost wonder if and I part of me actually does hope that they are dead for certain and that effectively they were just supposed to be a red herring mm-hmm. and that effectively what American Horror Story is telling us at this point is like the story is not what you thought it was it's like right. the story's not really like we made it seem like it was this YA dystopia and we kind of set the tone for this and actually like now for something completely different it's not that at all and I kind of that's I kind of would enjoy that pivot just that like it's something different than we expected and like um, Venable was a fun character to have lost already but I feel like we have Sarah Paulson already playing two other characters in the season and so right I would like Venable to come back would be kind of interesting she had a she had an interesting storyline there with her deformed back and you know yeah and her she was what need was cool yeah. Agree. I think I'm okay with Gallant being gone, but it doesn't. Then, like, why did we have that sequence of him in his ground? Why was he even there? Um, <laughs> Jeffrey Boyer Chapman. I felt like we didn't know enough about him to really care. Right. Um, and then, obviously, we're getting Coco and, and Dina back. Mm-hmm. Is there anybody else I'm forgetting? I mean, um, uh, Nana. <laughs> Oh yeah, Joan I think Collins. I think that Joan. Con- I think unfortunately Joan Collins is gone too. She she was there for um, her two two episode arc, her cameo. She was great. Yeah, but she again. was great. Yeah, she was it, totally. She was great in what she did. Um, so I'm almost wondering here if we're gonna get like a. Um, we've had a lot of thoughts and theories about this going around. Um, my theory kind of here is that Michael is going to. F- so Cordelia and the Coven are going to kind of form this like counter whether they're angels or not they're going to kind of form this this counter force to the group that michael's forming mm-hmm. um and I, I i'm gonna guess that michael's is mostly male-based and maybe it wasn't supposed to be that originally but i have a feeling it's going that way with the coven being composed of females um and i could see brock being one of those guys that becomes one of the kind of main oh. main Mm-hmm. people on his team i mean he just like was this like vengeful guy that clearly has killed a lot of people at this point and is filled with hate like anger um so i could see brock being kind of one of his main agents now um and i don't know if any of the other guys in that appeared in in the outpost three will will join that either but it would be kind of fitting. I mean, we had a couple people, uh, Amber and Amy on Facebook, both mentioned kind of some imagery um, in this um, in this episode in particular, but also in this season so far, hearkening uh, back to Colton in some ways. Um, kind of talking about the Val- Valerie Solana storyline of the like the you know um, feminist Scum. cult, yeah, scum. Which you and neither you nor I really liked that storyline much at all, <laughs> right? Um, but you know, you can see some. If there is kind of a male-female divide uh, dynamic that takes place in the season, it would be very incredibly relevant. You know, we know how much Brian Falchuk and Ryan Murphy try to, you know, uh, tap into what's going on in, in popular culture and different things right now. And with Me Too and with Time's Up and with all these different things, you could see room for there being... Like, sometimes it does feel like we have this... I mean, it's not in that broad of strokes, but you could see them experimenting with this kind of male-female 
dynamic. Definitely. Um, counter forces. Um, and so that was actually the other question I had for you. I answered my theory, but I, is that kind of... What did you envision happen to Brock after he killed Coco? I think maybe we'll find out that since Michael was missing as well, that they're chatting at the, at the moment. Uh, he, Michael seems like he'd be really into what Brock just did. Because <laughs> uh-huh. he yeah, agreed. obviously tricked Mr. Gallant into killing his grandmother and uh, was trying to plant those seeds between other duos uh, in in the outpost. So I think maybe they're chatting, and yeah, I think he's recruiting him. I, I hadn't really thought about it. I thought he was just kind of hanging out still. I, I, I had th- That's one thing that they that this episode, even though I really liked it a lot, when you start to poke at it a little bit, you realize that there's some holes. Like, A, it was really easy for him to break in. B, did people not notice when Coco left? I can't remember. Did they talk about that? Like, no, nope, nope, no one, no one noticed when she left. Yeah, so everyone else is eating the poison apples, and she's not there. Um, so I think it's just, it, it might just be an oversight, and that he's gonna show up when he conveniently needs to. But I like to think, like what you just said, he, he, he uh, Michael's meeting with him, and they're they're getting uh, going through the recruitment process or the interview process, maybe, or he just yeah. automatically gets shooed in because of what he did. Right. And what is your... I wanted to hear what your theories were on Mallory, because it sounded like you had a couple ideas. Yeah, so I think one of them, and I can't remember if it was Amber or someone, one of our uh, listeners mentioned this, and I thought this too, uh, is that perhaps Misty Day is inside of Mallory uh, in some form. Because if you remember in Coven, Misty Day got trapped in that world where they have to go get out of as part of the test to become the next supreme uh mm-hmm. so there's a chance that maybe misty days in there in some form that'd be interesting i think that there i i like to think that, that there is some some individual in there that is maybe not uh but not not necessarily that mallory and madison knew each other but that they that there's some identity within mallory that she's now reincarnated or something like that. That could be a possibility. But in reality, if you think about Madison Montgomery's storyline and the world that Mallory works in, in as a you know assistant for a social media influencer, <laughs> um, they may have crossed paths in L.A. at some time when Madison was an actress and a starlet and doing all the tours and shows. So I think they may have crossed paths in the industry. That's my other theory. Uh, what do you think? Interesting. I didn't have a theory as concrete as yours. I like both of those a lot. Um, regarding the first one, did you, have you ever watched at all the show Legion? On um, it's also on no, Netflix. I haven't watched um, it. Heard it's great though. So it's related to yeah, it's related to X Men. Um, also, it's it's about the story of like a um, Professor X's son. Basically, it's like his origin story and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But there's a character on that show that effectively it's like a probably an older guy in his mid-50s who has his split personality is manifest as a real person that like it's a is mm. manifest as like a basically like a 19 year old girl that comes to he can like they're one and the same and she like comes to life and like basically is like a not a ninja but like she kicks ass she like comes in and she'll like fight things but it's an interesting thing where it's like they are intertwined in that way and if you injure one, you in the injured the other kind of thing, mm-hmm. and it kind of got, that's kind of what I was thinking about when you were talking about you know someone being inside Misty or sorry Misty Day being inside Mallory, right. and we're talking about all these X Men connections. So that's mm-hmm. kind of what it got my mind thinking of. And also, you know, especially at the beginning of the episode, you have 
Mallory talking about there being something or someone locked up inside of her and she doesn't know who she is. In some ways it almost seems like maybe she doesn't remember her past. Like it's kind of, right. in the same way that Mrs. Like Miss Mead has memories implanted, Mem- or Mallory's kind of having memories missing, perhaps, um, in kind of like these parallel stories. And so maybe Mallory has more of a past than she even knows. It's been wiped from her mind somehow. Right. And so yeah. we'll get more of an origin, and maybe that's why they didn't want to give us too many details on her character before this episode. I mean, there's also a possibility I'm being too generous there. But, <laughs> but you know, it, it's a possibility. Um, but no, I think I think there's some really interesting. Uh, we're left with a lot of questions, and obviously a hell of a lot happened in this episode. So, um, continuing to kind of change it up every episode, I want to use poison apples to rate oh, this good. episode, and I want to hear how many you want to give it. I really, really like this episode, and you know, I'm curious how it will stand uh, in the season once we look at the season and look back at the episodes and see which ones are our favorite. Uh, it could be really great to me because the first two were super boring, <laughs> or more boring <laughs> compared to what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> so it was easy to like do a step above that, but I really did enjoy it. Like I said, the opening, the ending were great, and in in the middle of it too, it was pretty fun. I would give this um, four and one quarter Ooh. poison apples. That's the highest review of the season so far. Definitely, yeah. I really um, liked it. Oh, I forgot there's one line that Coco said that I liked too when Mallory and her were fighting, or she was picking on Mallory. She's like, well, there's a fire right there, bitch. Do it again. <laughs> yeah. There, I mean, there were some good one-liners this episode. I think, I, I agree with you that like this episode was so eventful. I really liked the Billy Eichner storyline. Um, there was so, like there's a lot of death happening in this episode, and I do think a lot of those characters aren't going to come back, which raises the stakes a lot. Um, I am excited by the idea that American Horror Story was like red red herring, giving us a red herring for part of this first two episodes, and it's like basically telling us, no, this is actually not going to be your YA apocalypse story you thought it was going to be. Um, but at the same time, also a little annoyed by that, <laughs> like we, you know, because like why did we invest any time in these characters? Then kind of what these themes are, um, and then this some of the stilted like hit you over the head storyline or a storytelling in these couple episodes or in this episode bothered me a little bit as well for that reason I'm going to balance you out with a 3.75 it didn't quite hit a 4 for me because of those so but it's still a solid 8 which I think is the best score we've given in the episode this season and that that sounds right that sounds right to me for this episode Um, I have a question for you that's my reasoning for it hit me why I'm thinking about this more and I'm getting a little annoyed but why would Michael show up to recruit people to come to the sanctuary when ultimately he had programmed Miss Mead to launch this plan where they kill everyone and he sent the apples and all and the and the snakes and everything just to take Miss Mead with him. Like what was the point of the yeah 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 maybe but like I I mean I do think that he I don't know that he actually wanted to kill everybody I think mm-hmm. that Miss maybe you know that was Miss Mead that's the direction she went in but I don't think her function was to have everybody killed okay um, maybe it was to entertain people's darker desires like Venables mm-hmm. um, you know what I mean like she sensed that that was something Venable wanted to do and so he's still trying to look for the darkest kind of most evil people in this outpost right. um, and maybe that's like what part of what Mead's programming was is like 
helping tease out that darkness of people. And I think that honestly, had Venable not decided to turn Miss, like have Miss Bean try to shoot him, at that point maybe he like he probably maybe he would have taken Venable with him because she had proven that like she was pretty evil. You know what right. I mean? Right. Right. So it was almost like Venable did herself in in that regard. Right. Um, anyway, yeah. just thinking. No, no, no. I think that's I think that's a totally fair question. Um, I, so you know, I definitely kind of hope that we finally leave this outpost next. God, that's episode. what I wrote get, down. Let's get out of the outpost. It's so I'm getting yeah, boring. Yeah, I'm getting claustro- I'm getting claustrophobia from it a little bit. I need to see. It's not the that sanctuary. good of a set either. No, and I mean it's we see kind of the same few rooms over and over again. Um, I I want to. I kind of enjoyed what I really enjoyed this episode was our shots of the outside world. Yeah, um, like our, our whole little thing with the Mad Max thing. Like that was interesting. Yeah, the nuclear um, waste let's, landscape. Let's, yeah, let's get more of that. Let's either have them see them traveling somewhere, or let's just jump to the sanctuary and see what that place looks like. Because I'm right. curious, and hopefully it is the murder house like we've talked about. Oh, um, did you watch the preview for next episode at all? I did. I did. Um, I couldn't really pull much out of it, with the exception of seeing Madison Montgomery. I assumed it was working in a department store or something like that or a walmart it looks like oh interesting so i didn't see any of it so that could explain okay. some of the mallory madison montgomery background that we were unsure about yeah she says hi to someone but i don't think we see who she says hi to oh so maybe that could kind of play along with what you yes. were talking about in terms of them knowing each other from the hollywood days okay right. well that's interesting That'll be something to explore. I mean, look, I, I feel like we're left with a lot of, of good story, like threads that I, I'm now looking forward to seeing where these storylines go. Totally. I'm so, excited. Yeah. With that being said, um, I think we can go ahead and, and wrap up Forbidden Fruit a little bit here. <laughs> um, where can people find you between this week and a few, well, between now and a few days from now, Chris? Yeah. I am on Instagram and Twitter at Chris Husted, Chris with a K. What about you, Tyler? Catch me on Twitter at TJMoss11. And as always, you can join the conversation at Facebook.com slash This American Horror Story. And you can email us at This American Horror Story at gmail.com. Until uh, this coming episode, everybody have a good week and happy hauntings.